Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Motocross Training Podcast. Joel Youngkins here, and in today's episode, we are going to cover 2024 Supercross Prep Part 2. So, uh, just a little recap. Um, if you listen to Part 1, um, you'll know that I'm covering my longtime client, Jeremy Hand, um, and his Supercross preparation. And so, if you haven't, um, listen to part one first. I would highly recommend you go and, and do that. Um, part one, I cover a lot of his backstory. Um, so if you kind of want that backstory and, and you're more worried about like, um, you know, the details, cause details do matter in training. Um, they matter a lot. So I provide a lot of details in part one and I also cover his first three weeks of training, but yeah, Jeremy hand, he, uh, He's typically been a West or an East Coast 250 rider um, through Supercross, and then he would switch over to 450 uh, for the outdoors. And last year he did that, and then 450 outdoors he rode right into um, SMX. He was a um, like a last chance qualifier rider, and he ended up qualifying into I think all the mains, and he ended up getting um, ended up with uh, I think 22nd overall. I'm kind of just talking off the top of my head right now, but he was right around that top 20 mark as far as um, overall SMX points went, went last year. Uh, so this year, because of SMX, and I think he's just enjoying the 450, he's going to do 450 the whole year. Um, obviously, Supercross has been going on for four rounds, four weeks already, but um, because he's a privateer, he decided to, let, hey, I'm going to skip the first few rounds in on the West Coast, and here we are. We're going to pick up on Detroit because – um, we're both from Ohio. He went to Florida to, to ride, but, um, just that trip out to, to California, the first few rounds, just logistically wasn't, um, wasn't making the most sense for him to go yet. So his series is going to start off here in Detroit and basically go all the way, hopefully through SMX. Um, so again, the, the part one, we covered more of the first three week training, um, phase down in Florida. This was like basically right before Christmas. Um, he came home during a week between uh, Christmas and New Year's. He had to work and obviously just kind of celebrated Christmas. Um, so in part one, I covered the first three weeks of what we did for um, his on-the-bike practice and um, off the, the week and kind of give you like a weekly template. I'm going to kind of do the same thing here. There were some different changes I'll cover here. But, um, yeah, it ended up just kind of working out to where he kind of stayed ready after SMX. We didn't really take – he didn't take like um, – any long breaks, Jeremy doesn't usually do that. Um, I highly recommend my racers don't ever take long breaks off. You just kind of want to work each phase of the year. And, yeah, that's, he takes that advice. He he likes to stay fit. If he doesn't, his body kind of starts to hurt. And um, he likes to kind of stay on the bike all year, too. He just enjoys riding. Um, so when he got to Florida, we were able to hop right into really just kind of like a short acclimation, couple sessions to get used to a Supercross track. But the first part was essentially working on building a lot of sprint speed the first three weeks um, because we were going to build a what I, what I described as a short to long approach in his preseason preparation. So now this will take us into part two where I'm going to cover the last four weeks of his preseason prep. Um, now, you know, I had a whole like weekly approach for him. But if you're familiar with Florida's weather the past few weeks, uh, they've gotten a lot of rain on and off. 
So weather was a big issue. There was lots of rain. Uh, so he had to really like work around the weather schedule when the tracks were ready. He had to go to a couple different tracks. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a lot of just kind of getting it in where you can. And to be honest, because there is no like indoor supercross facilities, there's indoor facilities, but they're, if you've been to them you obviously know those aren't real supercross tracks. Um, so, you know, just, it's kind of like that where like, Hey, if it rains, it rains, like people get rained out and you got to either wait or you got to go somewhere else. So he dealt with them those same cards, just like everybody else was. So, you know, he just kind of did the best we could to put together a good schedule. Um, it did end up working out where I'm not going to give the exact hours, but, um, out of his own respect, but, uh, he did get the most amount of ride time in this preseason that he ever has. So that's good. So job was still fairly well executed in my opinion. Um, gym days and bicycle rides were done on rainy days where he couldn't ride. So basically when he couldn't ride, he was doing gym workouts and, you know, riding his bike and, and staying and working more on his conditioning on those days. And then when the track was ready, it obviously took precedence to ride when he could. Um, it kind of worked out okay too, because, because we're now on like the long approach side of things because the tracks were mostly like softer and ruddier. Um, to me, I rather my racers practice in softer, ruddier conditions on a supercross track. I don't want to want them to be on smooth tracks all the time because when they make it to them, by the time the main event comes, the track is a war zone. So I want them to actually be in those conditions as much as possible. Um, so I like that for specifically main event prep. Um, and even just all through the night, I mean, the tracks beat up all day, even their practices. So, um, very rarely do they actually ride on a very smooth track in supercross, unless you're in 250 heat one, um, the track's not soft or smooth, I should say. Um, so again, speed work, it was a little limited, but that's okay because we took care of that in the front end and now it was basically hey let's take that speed work we did and let's build volume onto that already um we still used high and low day sessions so originally it was supposed to be you know in the perfect world we described it as it was supposed to be you know monday was going to be a high day on the track um tuesday was going to be a low day wednesday was going to be off from riding and he would do a gym workout then back to Thursday was going to be a high intensity day. Then Friday was going to be a low intensity day where Saturday was going to be another gym workout. And then Sunday would be an off day. Um, obviously the schedule got really kind of hacked up due to the rain. So you kind of almost like we still kept to that model and still rotated through days um, where we had to like kind of plan fit. But um, so we still kept that same emphasis. It just, that whole order was just sort of, we were at the mercy of weather. So it happens. And that's kind of like, that's part of training though. That's part of, um, why you want to have some structure because when things just kind of like, uh, to make a good training program, you need structure to provide consistency. And when you're thrown, when you get thrown a bunch of variables, that's actually where you can lean back into your structure to kind of get you through those, like, like when the world's not perfect and things are happening that are kind of like derailing you people that are going to have the, like the, the better structured program are still going to make it, you know, uh, are going to really kind of persevere a lot easier than the people that just kind of like to, 
to wing it and you know aka mix it up um you know those things don't end up working as well so you you still want structure even when you feel like there is no structure um so kind of a cool little lesson there um I'll also cover here uh, i want to talk about the methods we did use um so a couple little different methods especially for our high days that we did um there uh, so th these were over the past four weeks um on the first high day the plan was is we were going to use a method called um uh, the push relax method and this is something i came up with like a honestly a long time ago and uh use it with some of my racers you know that did uh the race motocross back in the day um and this one's really cool like so the push relax method eventually is you do a moto and then you take about 20 to 25 percent of those laps and you the push part of it is out of those like 25 percent of those laps you turn those into a sprint uh sprint lap once that laps over, you go back into like an operational output mode, which would basically just be like your like typical race like speed where you're just kind of focused on like hitting your marks, getting your laps in. And then, you know, another lap would come around and you'd boom, you'd go back into a push mode. So you could do like two or three relaxed is what I call them, relaxed laps. And then it's more beneficial to have somebody um like a mechanic or your parents or coach and then they would tell you to like randomly be like let's just say lap four they would randomly tell you hey they would put push and on that lap you would try to do a sprint lap and then the following lap that you come back around that lap after that sprint lap and they would say relax and then you do a couple relaxed laps and then randomly would be another push lap now if you don't have someone like jeremy didn't have access to this because he was just down there with people riding um so he, he was by himself, but he was riding with other people. So with this method, I just kind of gave him, you know, out of the, the amount of laps he was doing, I kind of just pre-programmed which laps he was going to sprint. Um, not a big, especially at someone's level like Jeremy, not like a big uh, downfall to that, but because um, he can still get the work done and he gets the idea of it. But um, it is better to kind of have like, hey, I don't know, like, Basically, what we're trying to simulate is, hey, I'm clicking my laps off in the race, and then, oh, I make a mistake, I need a sprint to catch back up. Or I'm clicking my laps, and, oh, I see the guy in front of me, um, the racer in front of me, and, oh, right, let's go try to catch him and pass him. And you try to put on a sprint. A lot of times what happens is, like, racers get stuck in autopilot mode. So this method does a really good job of teaching you how to switch modes while you're racing. And if you could do that, like whether you can, you can basically control your own tempo of the race. Very, um, very powerful stuff when it comes to race day, because you want to be able to control the emotions of your yourself. You want to be able to click in like, okay, now it's time to settle back in. I need to hit my, hit my marks. Um, so really in my mind, it's a, it's an awesome method. I, um, something that I came up with long, like I said, a long time ago, and it's always a, a good one to, to utilize. I believe we also did just normal capacity methods, which is just, again, just, um, different, uh, shorter motos that we were working on. And again, those are just your, your standard motor motos, just building up that volume, building up that capacity. 
Um, the high days, um, they're basically the same as we did the, uh, or I should say the, the second high day. Um, we did a capacity method, but it was more of a race day um, simulation. So, like, I don't usually actually prefer, like, if I don't like to simulate competition or um, race days if you don't have to. I think just because race days itself are so different that it's going to be kind of hard to really actually replicate race day without doing it. Um, but just because races have been going on, so some, a lot of his competitors are now are currently racing out west that he'll be racing against this weekend and, and so on. I wanted him to at least have that under his belt where, um, like, he was working already on the the daily volume of what's going to be required on race day. Um, and it is, like, it is as, as specific as you get to race day. Uh, but if it's, like, if training was done properly, um, which in this case it was, but, like, if you had, like, if you had the time and you didn't need to to do the race sim, um, you can easily not have to do it and you'll be okay on race day, in my opinion. Uh, but I think it's a good, like psychological advantage for a racer. Like, Hey, I've already done this. Like I'm good. It's just kind of like, uh, you're kind of communicating that, Hey, you've, you've done a race day simulation. Like you're good to go. And again, it just kind of like when he would do these, he actually had some of his other, um, racers like that were practicing there. Um, they all kind of lined up and they just would do them together. So it kind of did get a little bit of experience just riding with someone else, just kind of like somewhat simulating that day. You can't replicate it, but you can try to simulate it to just sort of give you that race day feel. That's as close as you're going to get because race day is just, there's a whole other elements that are all wrapped into it. Uh, so yeah, now, now back to low days, the other two low days that we did, um, they were a lot like the first training wave. So they focused on starts, sections of the track, whoops, and uh, yeah, just kind of executed those types of, of things. And that's really kind of all the details for the riding portion. Again, I'm not a riding coach. I don't teach riders how to, to ride. I leave that up to my, uh, my colleagues over at Driven MX. They do a great job with that. There's also a lot of good riding coaches out there. Uh, but what I do with my programming with racing, it's really just setting up really like the physical performance um, parameters to organize and structure um, the sport practice. Again, I don't teach Jeremy how to hit the whoops. I don't tell him if he should do a triple or a quad. Um, that's not my wheelhouse, but my wheelhouse is in preparation and kind of organizing, organizing, um, physical preparation and just overall preparation in general. So that's where my role comes in to help someone like Jeremy prepare for supercross. Um, now moving over to like the physical prep, the gym side of things. Um, still, yeah, like I said, just two, two gym workouts a week. His fitness was already really good. As far as gym work was going to go, we try to maximize the riding as much as we could around the weather. So again, we just kind of kept flip flopping. Um, a lot of the rain days they were placed with like Jeremy had his, um, his bicycles down there. So he would, he mountain biked a little bit or just kind of rode, um, did some more of his longer stuff on those days. Um, our bike rides, I should say, and just kind of keeping more lower heart rates also kind of serves a little bit as cross training, but again, cross training is kind of, uh, 
a little bit of a general concept compared to, you know, doing it right before a preseason. Um, but it doesn't hurt when we're, when you're getting rained out and you're just trying to keep someone kind of, uh, active or kind of using it as a filler day. I don't have a problem with that. Um, like I said earlier, Jeremy, what I've learned with working with Jeremy over the years is, uh, it's better to keep the volume a little bit low as he responds better to lower volumes. And sometimes like when the volume gets really high for Jeremy, he kind of gets, um, will kind of go a little flat, almost like where he's just kind of not saying burnout by any means, but it just, he'll just need to take a couple days off. Like I could just tell it's just kind of getting to him. He's, his performance starts to drop a little bit in, in the gym and, and just kind of his overall, just kind of attitude and readiness. So, and it's not that he's lazy because Jeremy is not lazy at all, but this usually like the more talented you are, there's the, the more like naturally gifted and talented someone is a lot of times those people will respond better to lower volume training. And if you just keep throwing volume at them because they're so talented, their outputs are so high that like the amount of work they accomplish in a time frame is a lot more than most people would in that same given time. So the best way I would put it, like if me and Jerry went, Jeremy went and rode and we both rode for 60 minutes, um, he's going to do a lot more like laps and he's going to cover a lot more distance than I'm going to cover in 60 minutes. So he has produced a lot more work in that time frame than someone like myself. So, and it just kind of like, even if someone were to do the same amount of laps, if you're usually, if you're just more naturally gifted and you can be more creative and do things, um, you have to be able to kind of ex- conserve their energy a little better. Um, just cause they're so like naturally explosive as an athlete is, uh, it's kind of how that works. It's kind of a complicated, it's a tricky thing to kind of conceptualize, but, um, it is a thing. Usually the people that like that are the hard workers are usually not as gifted of athletes in general. So they usually need a little bit more volume in general, to respond. So sometimes like the really talented athletes, if they don't want to like seem like they want to do a lot of work, it's just not, it's not always that they're lazy. It's just like they've already done enough that they need to do and they're good. <laughs> so I like to manage that with Jeremy. I like to just keep him fresh and uh, as fresh as you can. And, um, you know, like there's sometimes like we've had in the past where like Jeremy was in positions like heading into the outdoors before even like race supercross or even a couple of his early supercross years where you know he had like his gym workout times were far out like outs um outweighed his time on the bike getting ready for the season and we literally had to rely on his physical fitness and then his just natural talent to like go perform and that's definitely not ideal but um because he is so naturally talented on a bike he's able to get away with it so we just kind of like all right, Jeremy, it's like you're going to just have to kind of go and hopefully get comfortable as soon as you can out there. And we're just going to kind of rely on getting you in shape in the gym and, you know, good luck, buddy. But, um, so yeah, again, just kept it to two gym workouts a week. Um, he can handle three, no problem, but but be, just because we were trying to get more seat time in and maximize the time being down in Florida, um, you know, there was more precedence on riding. So, um, I was good with the two gym workouts and, uh, and yeah, now it's race week. He's back home here in Ohio. He's getting, they're getting all kind of situated to go racing this weekend. 
And from here, it's just going to basically be more now into like a maintenance phase. And, um, you know, Jeremy will probably be riding as he travels around. Like I imagine when Daytona rolls around, he'll probably stay in Florida for a week and probably get some more supercross riding in there. And, you know, just kind of handle the logistics of being a privateer because, yeah, it's tricky in the preseason. But like once the season starts to like keep riding, keep training, because he is the one that has to actually drive the van to the races um there's bike prep time having a, a practice bike the logistics to start to to pile up but you know you know jeremy in between him and his dad and his whole family that that help out like they do a great job with it and uh you know are good with and they're seasoned enough now to where they they know what to expect obviously and they're good with managing um the logistics of running their program so uh yeah hopefully these two parts have been cool um Hopefully it's a little bit of an insight to what someone like a, a top privateer like Jeremy uh, goes through to get ready for Supercross. And um, just want to give you a little bit more like of some riding stuff that, you know, we talk a lot about, about like gym workouts and fitness, obviously that's right up in my wheelhouse. But I also wanted to kind of expand on like, Hey, this stuff does roll right into your actual practice techniques and um, your practice preparation is what I should say. And, you know, they should have a symbiotic relationship with each other. And, um, and yeah, it's just, you know, pro racers don't, don't just hop on their bike or they or at least shouldn't. They should have a structure. They shouldn't be winging it. They shouldn't be just trying to, to mix things up and do whatever they want to do for the day. They're sh- they sh- just like yourself, they should have structure as well. If even it's more important for pros to even be more structured. But... <clears throat> They also don't just hop on their bike and just kind of, yeah, let's just say, what do you want to do today for riding? And and just kind of like wing it as they go. Um, you know, there's a structure to it and there is a plan just as it should be for you. So whether you're a pro or just a weekend warrior racer that wants to get more out of the racing, when you do ride, try to get the most out of it while you can, just like, just like how you should be in the gym working on your physical preparation as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll be at Detroit this weekend. Um, my wife and I were going and we're taking two of our children to go and we're going to watch Jeremy, cheer him on, have a good time. Um, if you happen to be at Detroit, um, you know, shoot me a message. Let me know if you guys feel be there and, uh, yeah, go Jeremy hand number 56 and, uh, yeah, catch you in the next episode.